You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. I answered the phone and the first words that I heard were, Brant, the cops are recording this conversation. It was my buddy Corey, and the night before, he and I and a group of our friends had been out causing trouble, making mischief, and we never thought about the damage and the impact that our fun was going to have on other people. All we were focused on was our own entertainment and and what we were doing and how fun it was. But then when I heard the words that our conversation was being recorded by the police, the reality began to sink in. At that point, a, a switch was flipped in my brain and I began to think about all of the destruction that we had caused. Why was it that it took that for me to begin to think about others? Why was it that, that all before that I was completely focused with myself and not thinking about the implications of what we were doing would have on other people? I think it's because I was completely self-focused. And, and I would say that is just one story, but it's, it's representative of a time in my life when everything about my life was completely focused around me. So the way that I made decisions, the, the relationships that I had, the way I spent my time, it was all focused on myself. And I would guess that I'm probably not alone in this room. I would say that this is really representative of our culture as a whole. We are a very self-focused culture. It's kind of the water that we swim in. You hear words all the time like self-love and self-promotion and self-esteem. There's this constant focus that you need to live for yourself and put yourself first. And that's why when we look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, they are so shocking. When we look at the life of Jesus and what he does, it completely flies in the face of how we live our lives and how the culture around us lives as well. And so I want to dive into John uh, chapter 13 and look at what Jesus has to teach us. But before we do that, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for the fact that you are the God who saves us, and you're the God who reconciles us, and that you bring us into relationships with one another through your church. And Father, we gather together as a church this morning, ultimately to worship you and to come to know you more and to obey you and and serve you with our lives. Jesus, you are our king, you are our leader, and so we pray, God, this morning that you would speak to us through your word Ultimately, that you would be glorified through our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, John John chapter 13 marks a a very distinct change in the ministry of Jesus. And you guys have been hearing sermons both recently and then a while back on the gospel of John. And as we're going chapter by chapter, you're seeing that Jesus' ministry has been predominantly focused on the public. And so he has been going out and speaking to crowds. Uh, He's been, been focusing on the nation of Israel at large, and he's preaching to them and teaching them and doing miracles. And, and, and now in John chapter 13, we see a distinct shift in his ministry. He is no longer going to be focusing on the crowds uh, and, and the big gatherings, but now he is going to be focusing specifically on the 12 men who have been traveling with him throughout his ministry. 
He's going to be focusing on the disciples. And as we look at this passage, we are going to see specifically the love that he has for his disciples and the love that he has for us. And so uh, we're going to see a few different points about this love of Christ and ultimately how that is to be reflected in our own lives as well. The first point that we see here is the price of Jesus' love. The price of Jesus' love. Now, how many of you guys have had an event recently that has been a big event? Uh, Maybe you've had a wedding in your family. Maybe there's been a baby that's been born. Uh, Maybe, you know, your kids have gone off to college. Anything like that. When you think about that big event, Event maybe it's a it's a happy thing, but there also can be some events uh, that we've had that are that maybe have been difficult. So maybe we've had um, you know a big medical procedure or or a surgery uh, or or a, a huge uh, issue at work or, or whatever it is. And, and when you know that the next day is going to be a huge event, it's going to be a big day. What are you thinking about the night before? What are you thinking about when you're laying in your bed at night before the day of a big event? Well, typically, we are completely consumed with ourself, right? We're sitting here and we're thinking about what this is going to, how this is going to affect us, what is this going to mean for us, what will we experience, what will we go through. It's all locked in on ourselves. And here's the deal. If you are in that kind of a time, you will most likely have the effect of stress, right? Now, I know probably people in here don't deal with stress, but just take it from me. There can be stress, right, through these kind of experiences. And here's what happens. When you are stressed, how do you respond to other people's problems? Right? How, how do you, when you're stressed, you've got something huge, and somebody brings you something that they want you to take care of for them, how do you typically respond to it? Right? Most of us respond with the words of Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. Right? That's kind of how we respond because it's like, look, I've got my stuff. I, how are you, you going to bring that to me? Well, here's the deal. The night before Jesus' death, Right, the night before Jesus was going to be arrested and killed and crucified is the night that we're looking at here. But instead of being like us, where the night before this incredibly huge event, where we would be focused on ourselves, Jesus is focused on others. And Jesus is specifically focused on showing and explaining his love for the men who have been following him and walking alongside him through his ministry. We see this in John uh, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, which says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments... And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, on the night before his death, he washes the disciples' feet. Now, why was this such a big deal? Why why is this worth including? Well, you have to understand the context of what foot washing actually meant. In this culture, people walked everywhere, and they walked down roads, and the only thing that they wore on their feet were sandals. So the bottom of their feet would be protected, but the sides of their feet were completely exposed. And the roads at that time were not paved, right? They had 
all kinds of disgusting things. So there wasn't effective sewage systems, and also you had animals that were going all over these roads. And so you can imagine the kind of mess that people would step in. Now, I know for some of you guys, uh, when we moved to Knoxville, uh, we realized we were moving into the land of Chacos, right? It's like everybody wears Chacos everywhere, and I've got myself a pair. But, uh, but here's the deal. So some of you guys will know, and maybe wives of husbands can attest to this, Chacos can develop an odor, right? And, and in fact, I'm not allowed to keep mine inside the house. I have a place in the garage that's the home for my Chacos, right, because they have that odor. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Here's the deal. This would have been far beyond that, right? The stench of their feet because they are walking. It would be like walking in your chacos through a farm covered with cow manure, right? And just plowing through that junk, right? It's nasty. It stinks. It's a mess. And here's the deal. Imagine that that person who has just done that, walked through that junk, is coming to your house for dinner, right? How's that going to affect you when, when that person comes in? Well, obviously, you can't have all that junk in your house. And so they would have had a, a pot of water and a towel, and they, one of the, the lowest servants would have gone and would have washed the feet of the people who come to the house. Now, this was not even something that a Jewish slave was allowed to do. This, this task was reserved to Gentile slaves. So the lowliest slaves in the house were the only person who would take up this humiliating, disgusting task. And yet here we see that Jesus does this for his disciples. I think in order to understand why he would do that, why would he take on this humiliating, disgusting job, we have to understand the bigger context. So right before this, we have a parallel passage in Luke 22. And in Luke 22, verses 24 through 26, we see what the disciples were discussing as they were walking along the road to get to this room where Jesus washed their feet. It says, beginning in verse 24, a dispute dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with, with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. You see, the disciples were focused on who was the greatest, right? They were arguing. They were talking trash. Any of you guys play sports and you like to talk trash a little bit, like playing basketball or football? You know, you kind of like to brag a little bit, especially when you hit a shot or do something, right? That's kind of what they, they were boasting, Right? Maybe, maybe some of you guys, if you didn't play sports, you like to kind of talk trash and boast about how your team is doing you know, to fans of other teams. Maybe not as much lately, but in the past you would kind of boast about how your team was doing to others. Right, So here's the deal. That's kind of what they're doing. So they are bragging, they are boasting, they are, they are trying to show their superiority to other people, to the other disciples. And they ultimately had a very worldly concept of greatness. They had a very worldly perspective of, of power and greatness. Um, because the world's perspective is that, is that your greatness comes by being superior to other people. So you are clawing, you are climbing over people. You want to push people down so that you can have more power and more authority and show that you are clearly better than them. Right? That's how the world views power. And what's ironic that the disciples were having this mindset of power is that they had been following Jesus around for three years, and he has been teaching over and over and over that the world's concept of power needs to be turned on its head. Right? Jesus has said that the way up is the way that goes down. We see uh, just a, a few days before this, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. 
So this is what Jesus is teaching these disciples over and over as he's, as he's teaching, as he's traveling with them. They're hearing this. You would have thought that just maybe when the disciples sat down in this room and they realized that there was no servant there to wash their filthy feet and they saw the need that maybe one of them would have remembered what Jesus had said and applied this and gone and gotten the, the, the pot of water and the towel and actually started washing the other disciples' feet and washing Jesus' feet. But they didn't, and why was that? Because they were too busy arguing about who was the greatest. And you're not going to wash some dude's stinky feet if you're worried about showing how better you are than him, right? But the one who does get up and goes and takes this humiliating task is Jesus. And he is the only one who actually had the right to be thinking about his glory and greatness and what he deserved. You see, in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus knew his greatness. Jesus knew that he was the king of the universe. He had all authority over all things, and he deserved for every single person on earth to bow down and serve him. But he wasn't focused on his own glory. But instead... He bowed down and washed the feet of the disciples. The creator of the universe got on his knees and washed the filthy, callous feet of his followers. And this is the price of Jesus' love. But the next thing that we see here is not just the price of Jesus' love, but we also see the people that Jesus loves, the people Jesus loves. So who is it that's in the room, right? Who is it who's getting their feet washed by Jesus? Well, we know something about a few of these guys. So the first guy we know about is Peter, right? Peter's one of the disciples, and if you've been raised in church or maybe you've, you've been around the church for a while, you'll know the story of Peter. Ultimately, what does Peter do just hours after Jesus washes his feet? He betrays him, right? He goes out, he leaves there, and, and ultimately he kind of keeps his distance. Once Jesus is arrested, he keeps his distance from Jesus. He doesn't want to get too close. And when people ask him, do you know him? Are you one of his, aren't you one of his followers? I think I've seen you with him. He denies it. Not once, but three times. So this is the man who is going to deny him. The second person we know a little bit about is Judas. And Pastor Trent talked about Judas last week. But here's what we know. And if you want to read the full account, 21 through 30, tells you a lot about Judas. But, but Judas would literally minutes from the time when Jesus washes his feet, walk out of the room and go and betray Jesus for a bag of silver. And ultimately lead the soldiers to him so that he could be arrested and killed. And the rest of the disciples don't, don't get off scot-free either, right? Because every single one of them, once Jesus is arrested, will scatter, right? That's just the response is, is they don't, they don't uh, show themselves to be dependable in all of this. And, and Jesus knows this about all of them. He fully knows how they are going to respond. And yet he washes their feet. He washes the very feet that are going to run away from him at his time of greatest need. Right? He, he, he washes the very feet that are going to leave this room, walk down the street, get a bag of silver, and betray him with a kiss. You see, Jesus knew full well where these feet would go and what they would do. And yet he washed them anyway. But this is not just what he does for the disciples. 
Because in the same way, Jesus knew what we would do. He knew that we would betray him. He knew that we would run away from him and into sin. He knew that we would deny him. And yet he still washes us. Not just our feet, but ultimately our sinful hearts. And there's some of you this morning who, who struggle with this. Right? You, if you're honest with yourself, you don't think that Jesus would stoop low enough to wash you. You feel like you're the exception to the rule. When you hear the sermons preached and, and when you see people singing, you believe that that is true for other people, but not for you. Because your sin is too great or you've been locked into this sin for too long. You're too dirty and you couldn't possibly be washed by Jesus. But the message that I, want, I hope that you hear this morning is that Jesus did not come to die for good people. Jesus did not come to save people from respectable sins. But Jesus came to save the greatest sinners on earth. The Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. And so I hope that you hear this morning that the death of Jesus on the cross, that God dying on the cross for you is sufficient. It is enough of a payment to pay for any sin or any amount of guilt that you have experienced. You are not the exception to the rule. You are the people that Jesus loves. But not only do we see the people that Jesus loves here, but the next point we see is the power of Jesus' love, the power of Jesus' love. Now, one of the very interesting responses in this passage is the response of Peter. So when Jesus comes to Peter and gets down on, on his knees and he's ready to wash his feet, how does Peter respond? He says, what are you doing? Why, why would you do this? Why would you humiliate yourself like this? You're embarrassing me. You're not about to wash my feet. I'm not going to sit here and watch you wash my feet. But the problem is, is that Peter doesn't understand his own hopelessness. And like many of us, Peter doesn't think he's really that dirty. That he really needs Jesus to wash his feet. You see, Peter doesn't understand that this is not ultimately about washing feet. Jesus is painting a picture of what he is about to do, of the greatest humiliation, the greatest service, the, the greatest sacrifice that he is just about to take, where he is going to go to the cross to pay for sins. And some of us, in the same way, we think, I'm not really that bad, right? I'm not really that hopeless. I'm, I don't really need Jesus to die for me. I don't want to admit that, that I am completely hopeless to do anything, and so we want things to do for ourselves. We want more respectable ways to earn salvation so that we can do good things. But to those of us who feel that way, who feel that we're not really that bad, that we don't really need Jesus to die for us, and to Peter who refuses to let Jesus wash his feet, Jesus speaks these words. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. That the only way to be saved, the only way to experience the transforming power of Christ in your heart is to admit your need. 
to admit that you are that dirty, that you are hopeless in and of yourself to save yourself and to receive the love and salvation that Jesus offers to you through the cross. You see, on the, to- on the cross, Jesus took the hit for us. Some of you guys watch football. And you know that a quarterback of a football team is very dependent on a few men standing in front of him, right? The linemen are incredibly important for a quarterback. And that's why guys like Peyton Manning take care of their linemen, right? They take them out to eat. They pamper them because these men are protecting them from, some of, from defensive linemen, right, who are some of the most scary people on the planet, right? And, and here's what they know. They know that if a lineman makes a mistake and, and misses a block or misses an assignment, that that gigantic defensive lineman is going to come running straight at them, is going to knock them on their feet and slam them into the ground. Because the lineman messes up and misses the block, the quarterback pays the price. The, the lineman's mistake leads to the quarterback's pain. And in the same way, Jesus takes the hit for us, even though we are the ones who mess up. Jesus takes, ultimately, the punishment that must be paid. You see, there is a punishment, there is a penalty, there is a price that must be paid for our sins, for the sins uh, that others have committed against us, and ultimately for the sins of the world. There is a price that has to be paid for that sin. The only question is, who is going to pay it? Who is going to take the hit. And if it's us, the Bible tells us we will spend eternity in hell paying for that sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes the hit for us. Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve upon himself. He takes our sin. And he dies the death we deserve to die in our place. And it's not just about the physical pain that he experiences on the cross of being beaten and nailed to a cross of wood. But the greatest pain and the greatest penalty that has to be paid is that the father turns his back on his son. And the father pours out the lava of justice and divine wrath for all that sin deserves. And he pours it into the heart of his son. And what the Bible tells us is if, that we will trust Christ. If we will trust what he did for us on the cross, then that sin, that penalty we deserve to pay will be completely removed. That through the blood of Christ, we will be washed. We will be made righteous. We will be made holy. And now the sin that separated us from God as our Father is completely removed. And so now God welcomes us, as we just sang, as his children. He welcomes us and he accepts us and he loves us and he will spend eternity pouring out his love and grace upon us. But only because Jesus takes the punishment for our sins. You see, that's the power of the love of Jesus. But the next thing that we see is it doesn't stop there because there is a purpose to the love of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus' love. You see, Jesus doesn't just come to, to pour out his love on us. He doesn't just come to be our servant king, but ultimately he comes to, to lead us to show the love that he shows to us, to other people, right? To follow his example. And this is what we see in verses 14 through 15. 
Jesus says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You see, the love of Christ for us, the sacrificial love of Christ for us should not stop with us. It should not just be something that that we experience personally. But it is something that should well up in us. We should be so overwhelmed and so thankful and so moved by the love of Christ for us that it overflows into a life of serving and sacrificing for others. It's never meant to stop with us. It's always meant to, to flow through us to others. And I would argue that probably if we're honest, most of us, this is not new. Like I'm not telling you stuff that you don't know. Obviously, if you have received the love of Jesus, you know he calls you to serve and love other people, right? We know this in our brain, so what keeps us from actually doing it? What keeps us from practically applying it in, my, in our lives? Well, I'm going to say that from my experience, these are the, the obstacles. These are the things that keep me from actually serving people in the way that I know that I should. The first reason, the first thing that keeps me from serving people well is my time is too important. Right? My time is too important. I know that I have a lot to do with my time. Sometimes I feel like I have more to do than, than I have time for. And so it is very difficult for me to build time to serve other people. And what I realized as I was reflecting on this and thinking through the sermon is that ultimately what I'm saying is not just that my time is too important, but ultimately I'm too important. Right? That my time is that great. And I think the application of the gospel and of this passage to my life is to realize I don't deserve what Jesus has done for me, right? Jesus is too important to serve me. Jesus is too important to come down and to die for me. And yet if I receive that, then I can't say in comparison to that that I am too important for anything, ultimately. And so that's the application. The second thing that keeps me from actually applying this is is I don't really think other people deserve my service, Like, I don't think that other people really, truly deserve for me to to serve them sacrificially. And I think, once again, the gospel is we don't deserve the love of Christ, right? God didn't owe this to us. But if we are filled up with the fact that even though we didn't deserve it, Jesus still came and died for us, that will fill us up. That'll, That'll move us. That'll work in our hearts, and it will lead us to be able to serve and sacrifice for people who really may not deserve it, right? I think of an an example of this, and my wife I know doesn't want me to to say this this morning, but but is I am a scavenger when it comes to eating out, okay? So when we go out to eat with friends, I'm, I'm what you call scavenger. So there are people that will sit at the table with me at a restaurant, and they will not eat all their food. And there is no concept in my brain for why a person would do that, like, you bought this food, they gave it to you, like, but oddly enough, some people don't. And so I feel the need to make up for their mistake, right, to kind of make everything okay. And so I will scavenge their leftovers. And like I said, my wife loves this, right? But here's the deal. You know when I don't scavenge at the end of a meal? When I've had like a thick, juicy ribeye. And I've had a loaded baked potato, and, and I've had a side of vegetables to make me feel a little more healthy for all the things that I just ate. 
when I'm filled up on that and I'm satisfied, I'm not scavenging anything you have, right? Not even your french fries. And I think here's the point on that is when we are so satisfied and filled up with the love of Christ for us, with the sacrifice that, that we did not deserve but that Jesus paid for us, when we are filled up with that, our tank is full. And that enables us to serve people without needing anything from them. You see, usually when we love and serve people, it's because there's something that they have that we want in return. We, we have a need. But through the gospel, we are freed up to serve people without needing anything in return from them. And even if people don't appreciate us or treat us the way that we think they should for what we do, that's okay. Because ultimately, it was never about us. But it was about showing the love that Christ has shown us to others. The third thing, and the final thing that I would say is kind of an excuse for me, is I think serving others is optional. I think that if there was a hypothetical perfect day when I had nothing to do, then, then maybe I would serve people. But, but it's optional, right, until that day comes around. I think many of us kind of think that way, that this is like an extra step that we might be willing to take. And I think to this, we really need to look and, and dive into verse 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, which how has Jesus loved us? Sacrificially through the cross. You also are to love one another. Jesus says, a new recommendation that I have for you, right? Or, or a, a new encouragement. I, I think a new really good idea would be to serve others and love others as I've served. That's what Jesus says, right? No, he uses the word commandment. But he commands us, and this is our king who was making this a commandment. And if we are followers of Christ, fundamentally that means that we are obedient to him. We are serving him. And when he makes a commandment, it's not optional if Jesus is our king. And so our mindset of it being optional to serve others has to change. And so the question we ask ourselves, if, if we consider the importance of that, is are we actively serving others? Right? And I would argue that everybody in the room would probably would recognize, yeah, I could grow in this. I mean, m me first and foremost. So, so here's some questions that I think that, that are helpful to ask in, in order to kind of step into a lifestyle that's more focused on the service that Jesus commands. First, who around you is in need? Right? I guarantee you there are people <laughs> who are in need around you. I, I think uh, for, for a lot of us, we encourage everybody who's, who's part of Foothills Church to, to connect with a small group. Right? Within that small group, there are going to be needs. There are going to be things that come up where, where people need your help and service. Man, serve. Invest in those people. Serve well. Or, or maybe, maybe it's a, a neighbor or somebody around. So look around. Who is it who has a need that I can meet? The second opportunity is what opportunities do I have to serve? Right? And we'll talk in just a second. I think, I think a great opportunity, and, and what I would say first, is we have, we have an incredible number of opportunities to serve here at Foothills Church. Right, to serve this church, to be part of what God is doing here at Foothills. But, but looking around saying, what are the opportunities? Not just the personal needs, but the big picture opportunities for me to serve. And then third, what, God, what gifts has God given me that I can use, that I can steward to, to serve others? Right? What gifts do I have? How has God gifted me in a way that I could use that to serve other people? And I would argue I think a first step here, I'm not saying the only step, I know there's a lot of ways you can serve, but I would say the first step to take is to consider how you can serve here at Foothills Church. We have many ministry opportunities for you. There's, there's all kinds of opportunities across this church. 
right? And, and maybe, maybe you would, would be interested in serving on the hospitality team. You know, we have a lot of people who tell us their first impression of Foothills is that they felt very welcome when they came here, right? And that's because we have a hospitality team that's making people feel welcome, that's, that's greeting them. So maybe that's a team that you would like to be part of. Or maybe you would like to serve kids through, through leading small groups or being part of Kid Street or Little Street. Right? Maybe you would like to serve in that way. There's incredible opportunities there. Maybe, maybe you want to serve parents. Maybe you want to serve us in here by holding babies right? and serving in Sprout or, or many other ways across our church. But there are so many opportunities to serve. And so consider that. Consider what are the opportunities that you could take. You can go to the Connect Center, which is located in the cafe. We will plug you in uh, every month. The first Sunday of the month, we have what's called First Look. And we meet in the cafe at 10 o'clock. We'll be talking more about this. You can come to that, see all the opportunities, find a place to get plugged in, or you can always go to our website and find places to serve. But I think for some of you, you may hear me say this, talk about opportunities within our church, which I think are important, especially if you're a partner of this church, to serve. And you may hear me say that, and you may think that this is, this is kind of a selfish thing for me to say. Or, or maybe this is something that's just based around the staff trying to fill needs, Right? But argue, I would argue that's ultimately not my motivation to, to get you to plug in to serve. Because the greatest motivation to serve is, is, is not something that we need, but it's, a, it's ultimately the fact that God has promised that the life of greatest blessing and greatest joy comes from serving. And so this is an opportunity for you to experience the blessing that comes from serving others, Right? And I, and I think this is right here in this passage, in verse 17. He says, if you know these things, right? So if you know this is what you're, how you're called to live, blessed are you if you do them. And that word blessed means happy and, and joyful and, and satisfied. And so he's saying, if you know this, you will receive a blessing. You will experience the happiness and joy and satisfaction if you actually step out and do this. See, I would say that you will find that the greatest joy and the greatest satisfaction and blessing that, that comes is, is from a life of service, right? Not, not from, from other people serving you or, or you just serving your best interest, but the way to find the greatest satisfaction and joy and blessing is from living a life of serving Christ through serving others. And, and many of us have experienced this. We know this. When there's been times in our lives when we have seen a need and we have stepped out and sacrificed to serve others just for their good, we know the blessing and the joy that comes from that. We know, we know that. We've experienced it. Many of us have kind of forgotten it, but we've experienced it in some way. And this is the truth. This is the life of greatest blessing and joy. And ultimately, by not living a life of serving others and serving in general, we are missing out an incredible blessing and opportunity that God has prepared for us. In the early 1900s, uh, there was a doctor named Dr. Nelson Bell. And many of you guys have probably not heard the name of Nelson Bell. He was a missionary to China uh, for, for some time. But you've probably heard the name of his son-in-law, Billy Graham. right? And so uh, Dr. Bell's daughter was Ruth, who married Billy Graham. And uh, one day, as, as Dr. Bell and his wife were aging and getting older, it was getting more difficult for them to move around and to do things for themselves. And, and one day, Billy and Ruth Graham were over at Dr. Bell and his wife's house, and Ruth Graham walks into their bedroom. And he sees 
Dr. Bell down on his, his hands and knees, and he is actually helping his wife pull up her, her hose. And when she sees that, it's embarrassing. All of us would admit that would be embarrassing, right? And so she sees that, and she's embarrassed, and she says, Dad, what are you doing? Here, stand up. Let me do that for you. And Dr. Bell stands up. He gets on his feet, and he looks her square in the face, and he says, Ruth, the greatest privilege and joy of my life is to serve your mother, and you will not take that away from me. You see, this is the heart that we're called to have as followers of Christ. And partners here at Foothills Church, we are called to be people who serve faithfully and selflessly. Not because we have to, but because we get to. You see, we are following a foot-washing king. And if we are truly following the path he is leading us down, we will serve others. And so the question we just have to ask ourselves, is that the path that we're on? And if it's not, I would encourage you, don't settle for anything less. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Father, we are overwhelmed and humbled at the fact that while we are sinners, while we have rejected and turned from you, that you came to us. That you humbled yourself to the point of becoming a man, but not only a man, but you humbled yourself to the point of being a servant. And even beyond that, you humbled yourself to the point of dying the death of a criminal on the cross. And Father, we thank you that though we did not deserve that, that you did that for us. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here who has never experienced the joy of of trusting in you as Savior, of of being forgiven, of being washed clean of sin, God, I pray that, that they would turn from their sin and trust in you, surrender their life to you, Father. But for those of us who have, for those of us in this room who have experienced your your love and your sacrifice and your service in saving us, Father, I pray that that wouldn't stop with us, but that that would well up, that the gospel would well up in our hearts and pour over into a life of service to others. Not because we have to, because we get to. Father, we ask all this in the mighty name of our servant King Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for being here this morning. I hope you have a great day. You all are dismissed. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.